Hello, and welcome to NICU Care with NIDCAP, a podcast designed to support parents of children in the NICU. My name is Jeff Bradbury, and I'll be your host for today's program. NIDCAP is short for the Newborn Individualized Developmental Care and Assessment Program. In each episode, we bring you doctors, parents, healthcare workers, and others to discuss best practices to support the health and development of hospitalized newborns, infants, and their families, and those that care for them in the ICU settings and beyond. In today's episode, we will be discussing NICU family partnerships. The panel today includes three members of the NIDCAP community, all with personal and emotional experiences of working in and with families as they care for our most fragile babies in their first few months of life. If you have any questions about today's program or would like to be featured on a future episode, please visit our website, nidcap.org, for more information. And please remember to click on the subscribe button to share this podcast with your friends and family members. My first guest today is a mother of four, including a micropremie born at just 23 weeks in 2012. She is a speaker, author, and educator in New York, and also on the board of directors of the NIDCAP Federation International and the NICU Parent Network. It is with my great pleasure to welcome to the program and onto the podcast, Ms. Jennifer Deagle. Jen, how are you today? Welcome to the show. I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me today. My next guest is the owner of Birth Sisters Doula Services and the mother of three, including a micropremie, triplets born at only 26 weeks. She has served at the hospital, state, and national level on projects related to patient and family engagement, policy research, measurement development, and equity in the pediatric, maternal, and infant arena. She is also a speaker and a clinician. Please welcome Latasha Rouse onto the podcast. Latasha, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. My next guest recently retired from 35-year career as a pediatric psychologist, including 30 years working in the NICU. She's a proud member of the NIDCAP Federation International Family, as well as a senior trainer and NIDCAP Nursery Certification Certified Visitor. Please welcome to the podcast, Miss Melissa Johnson. Melissa, how are you today? Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks. It is great to have everybody here, and thank you guys all for being here talking today all about NICU and families. Um, Jen, I want to start with you today. As somebody who's been in the NICU from the family side, when somebody is in the NICU, what are some of those things that every family member needs? Usually it's a very turbulent time. They're not sure what's going on. In your opinion, what does every family member need in the NICU? Uh, I would start with emotional support more than anything physical you could give. Um, it's very traumatizing, like like you mentioned. It is something that you hadn't planned for. And even if you had some kind of um, knowledge that you might be heading to the NICU after birth, it's still nothing that you could have prepared for or experienced before. So emotional support right off the bat from staff, from family, from friends. And I would say also just information as soon as, um, as, soon as you can get it, just so you are comfortable with the surroundings in the NICU. I think I remember myself being there and not understanding what a NICU was, not understanding all these things, always thinking, why are we here? What's going on? Of course, your child is first. In your experience with the family-centered care, um, talk to us a little bit about your experiences with your daughter. You know, I'm actually going to throw that over to Latasha because my experience with family-centered care was was minimal. I, I will just start with saying I didn't have a lot of it. And still to this day, it affects me. It, um, it, it, you know, I didn't know what I had to ask for at the time because I had healthy births prior to just, you know, well, baby nursery, a couple of days, and then you're home. But with my daughter, it was, um, 
it was nothing like that. You know, I couldn't hold her, touch her. She was only one pound and four ounces or 575 grams. I wasn't allowed to, well, I didn't even see her for three days. And that was just because of my own complications after um, surgery. I had a terrible case of placenta procreta. But even when I was able to, to visit, I never held her for one month, not even for a second. Every day for that month was excruciatingly painful. Like I, I didn't feel like her mother. It was, um, you know, again, after having other kids and knowing what you're supposed to be doing and the bonding and the feeding and the holding and changing and um, none of that was present for me. And I, I honestly didn't really feel like her mother for a month until I was able to um, practice skin to skin care for the very first time. And, and, I, and that really is something that bothers me still today. And Latasha had a, a very different experience. So I want her to talk about that. Natasha, talk to us a little bit about this. You, you and I were talking off, off, uh, off recording earlier. You and I have similar experiences of having triplets in the NICU. Talk to us a little bit about your journey. Uh, so my kids were born at 26 weeks, six days. Um, and our NICU stay was extensive. Um, but I have fond memories of the NICU. We, my husband and I still talk about it because it was one of those times where we kind of got um, a little bit of a parachute into having the three babies. Um, we had support. We were being taught things that we could do in the NICU. For instance, we were able to help, um, you know, once they were stable, we were able to help give baths. Skin to skin was encouraged. I had amazing support as far as breastfeeding. Um, and, you know, it was always trying to find out, you know, how is your family doing? They would ask about my, my son who was three years old when I had the triplets. Um, and they just taught me how to care for them. And they taught me pace bottle feeding, which I never knew what that was before. Um, I never knew that was a thing. Um, there were so many things that I, I was taught that I could do. And I wanted to make sure that anybody else that went through a NICU experience was taught how to care for their baby, how to read their cues that was a huge thing was to be able to look at my baby and tell when they were agitated to tell when they were calming, how, you know, it, it feels when you're doing skin to skin and your baby starts to calm and you see their hands lower down slowly and they just rest and to know that you had an impact on them and they were, um, they were comfortable with you. And um, just so many things like that helped me to feel like I was their parent um, you know, from the very beginning, I was included on decisions. I was able to um, request meetings with the whole team when I needed them, um, when things were going a little too fast and I just didn't understand. Um, I was uh, I had a phone call every day around 11 o'clock after rounds um, from most of the doctors would call and they would give me the update because I had a three year old. So I wasn't there for rounds, but they made a point to keep me um, as a part of the team. Um, and so I felt very comfortable with that. And I never, you know, some people say I didn't want to leave my babies, you know, I, I leave it out and leaving them in the NICU was the hardest thing. And for me, it wasn't um, because I knew they needed to be there and having that support and not being excluded made it so much easier. Talk to us a little bit about the, the triplet experience when you had everything going on in the NICU. Did you know what NIDCAP was? Was this the first time that you were introduced to NIDCAP? Talk to us a little bit about how you learned about all these experiences of being a NICU family. 
So I did not. Okay. Our hospital had in the elevator and in a couple spots along the way, as you walk into the NICU, they had signs about NICAP that they were certified. And I read it and I was like, that's cool. She didn't really care. (laughs) But once I got my first initial report um, and what they did was they would come by the bedside and watch the babies. Each one of them got their own separate report and they would watch them to see um, were they a baby that could handle change um, quickly. So if you were to change their oxygen levels, you know, how long did it take them to settle into that? If you were to touch them, how long did it take them to settle? What did they like and what did they not like? When I got that report is when I first understood it because I realized that they were not treating all the babies the same. They were looking at them as individuals and that was what I wanted. I was seeing differences between my three. So I knew there were differences between the other babies that they were uh, treating. And so that's when I first understood because everything that they put in that report um, it's stuff that I noticed. And so knowing that somebody got my baby, they got them. They knew what they liked and they didn't like and where they were in their progress. Um, that was reassuring because I knew that they were getting individualized care. Melissa, I see you over there shaking your head up and down. Um, obviously, this is ringing into a chord with you. Talk to us a little bit about your experiences. Okay. Um I couldn't do have done a better job of introducing NIDCAP than what Latasha just did. And part of the reason I was nodding is that um, the nursery I worked in was the nursery where her three beautiful babies were cared for. So it was really good to hear her describe that experience because that's our goal. And as you noted, the I in NIDCAP stands for individualized. So she um, really nailed that as being a key part of um, the approach that NIDCAP uh, helps nurseries implement. Um, In general, I think one thing that is really important to say is that part of the goal of NIDCAP is to support the developing brain of a baby that is now outside the uterus much earlier than planned. Um, The baby's behavior that uh, Latasha noticed was um, described in the report is sort of the baby's language. That's how babies guide us to care for them in a way that um, helps them stay calm and comfortable. So things like how the baby's positioned, how the baby's handled, the timing of the care that's delivered um, are all gathered from the baby's behavior. And of course, the most important resource for any baby of any age is their family. And so the family's interaction with the baby is a key part of what the NIDCAP model tries to support so that as the baby develops, the family is developing as well. Um, so when you think about it, you know the hands, the body, the voice of the parent is one of the most power, are some of the most powerful tools that we can offer a baby in terms of their minute by minute comfort. I mean, that's what mother nature meant for babies is to be on their parents' bodies, to have their parents' hands containing and supporting them, to hear the voice that they heard in utero saying, how are you today, darling? Mm -hmm. You know, that kind of input is obviously to us, it's, um, it's been proven by research, but it seems fairly evident that that's what babies want and need. And the NIDCAP model helps 
make that more systematic and more easy to um, share am among all members of the care team. And it challenges us to think about the developing relationship between the baby and the family. And I keep saying family because every family is different. Some babies have a mommy and a daddy. Some babies have a mommy and a grandma or two mommies or two daddies or um, a whole crew of people, which of course this year um, in because of COVID can't all be there. But mostly we want to make sure that the people that love that baby are supported through that most challenging experience. As Jennifer said, um, I, I'm a psychologist by trade, and I also um, have uh, my older daughter, who's uh, an adult, was born early um, and also hospitalized. And so although she wasn't a micro preemie, she was in the NICU for three weeks. And so I try to carry that experience into my work with families and babies so that when parents were ready to take their babies home, they Feel, they felt as confident and ready as possible. And if a parent is still recovering from an experience of trauma, they're, they're going to do it because parents are awesome and yeah. parents find a way. But it's going to be that much harder. And as Jennifer eloquently stated, it's not something you really ever get over. And so we really want our families to go home with as much joy and confidence and as little you know, suffering and sorrow as possible in the context of a situation that is challenging and is painful. And so the NIDCAP model that has at its core um, the parent-child relationship seeks to um, have babies go home with a family that feels joyful and confident in taking them home. So the kind of reports that Latasha talked about, we talk about a NIDCAP report, and that's what that is. It's um, somebody who's been extensively trained, um, who goes to the bedside and observes the baby before, during, and after um, an episode of care, that it could be something as common as a diaper change, or it could be something that's a challenge, like starting an um, IV line. Um, the important thing is that we watch the baby and sort of ask ourselves, what behaviors is the baby using to tell us what is hard for them, what helps them, and how can we share that with everybody who cares for that child? So, and I loved it when Latasha noted that she had seen those behaviors, and so it made her feel good to see them in the report. And when I was doing those reports, um, I would typically finish the report and then sit down with the caregiver and the family to say, did I get this? Is this what you saw? And sometimes the parent would say, well, yes, but he also does this. And I go, okay, then, you know, that needs to go in the report. Mm -hmm. Or I would talk to the person caring for the baby and she'd say, you know, I noticed this happened um, another time when you weren't watching and I thought that was that's important for this baby. And I go, okay, we're going to put that in the report. Because what you want in a NIDCAP report is for um, everybody involved in that baby's life to feel like they're knowing that baby better. But the most important people to know the baby the best, of course, are the parents. 
You know, you said a couple of things here. You mentioned that the I in NIDCAP is for individualized. Mm-hmm. And Latasha's talking about her triplets being as individuals. And, you know, I very clearly remember with my situation, we had two babies in an Atlantic City NICU, one baby in a Delaware NICU. Um, <laughs> but very quickly, their personalities, their behaviors started to be individualized. Jen, I know you had mentioned it took a while before you were connected with your daughter. Do you remember the first time you really noticed a personality? I do. I, yes, I do. I mean, you know, for one month, I really had nothing um, but time to, to watch her. And that's what I did. I would just stare at her um, inside her, you know, her isolate, her incubator. And I, I did notice behaviors, you know, right away, different things that she liked, positions that she liked better. Um, I have a very clear memory of a nurse that had um, flipped her over and she started to do this like thing um, like a wiggle thing. And she was still very, very tiny. And I was able to say to the nurse, you know, I don't really think that she likes that. She doesn't really make a, you know, that, that type of movement often when she's comfortable. Um, you know, so those are things I, I tried to, um, to learn myself and, and pick up on and, and many other similar situations. And, um, you know, you guys said it perfectly, you know, she, she was an individual and I needed to learn her behavior and I had to do that mostly on my own and she had excellent medical care and she was taken care of and she's, you know, she's eight years old now and she's doing very well. It's, it's not her care that was lacking. It was my participation, you know, in that care and um, being able to talk to her medical team about what she was doing and have a lot of input initially that was lacking. And of course my, my contact with her was lacking. And, and, you know, most of the reason that we're here today is to kind of highlight how important the NIDCAP practices. And, and before I knew what NIDCAP was, um, you know, looking back on it now, everything that is NIDCAP is what I was looking for. Just I didn't have a name for it. And it's so important that families um, hear about it now and know what it is. And even if it's not in their hospital, um, they can certainly ask about it and, and get resources. So, Latasha, I got to ask the question here as I'm sitting here reflecting over uh, over our last, you know, my kids are seven and a half. Your kids are eight. Do you notice that the behaviors that you saw in the NIDQ are the same behaviors that you uh, are noticing an eight year old? They're the same people. It's so funny. <laughs> it is so funny. I remember my first out daughter um, when she was in the NICU, she was next to a door. And sometimes when people came through that door, it might slam, right? And I could see her get really upset about that door. She's still my child that shows a reaction more than anybody else when things aren't just so. So they're still the same people. Um, They haven't changed a bit. And that was even when I was pregnant. So I could tell personalities a little bit when I was pregnant. And then when they came, and I saw them and recognized that it, it, it was always there. They're the same people. <laughs> Melissa, why is this important, right? I'm asking this from an outsider's point of view, but I'm also asking this from the father's point of view. Why is it important that NIDCAP is hand-in-hand working with families one-on-one every single day? Well, when you think about it, we get one brain, right? And... Every experience that we have um, once we leave the uterus shapes that brain. And so um, the research shows and the observations of families and caregivers show that 
as you support the baby and the family together with um, sensitive and family-centered care, you are helping the brain develop in the very, very best way it possibly can. And that has implications for the child's future and the family's future. So for us involved in care in the NICU, there's, you know, there's nothing more important than nurturing that developing brain in the context of um, the family's love for that baby. Somebody might be listening to this show that is getting NIDCAP treatment. Somebody might Mm -hmm. be listening to the show who isn't in a hospital that has a NIDCAP Mm -hmm. program. Um, If I could ask everybody here to kind of take a turn and talk about just being an advocate, right? Because many times for a parent, the NICU is a new thing. I remember I, I really didn't even know what it was. It was, hey, it's 25 weeks. You're a dad go and then suddenly (laughs) you're in charge of this thing or these things um talk to us a little bit about advocacy like what does it mean to you how did you learn how to be an advocate how did you learn how to be a voice for the voiceless if you will um jen let me start with you here but how what 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 advice do you have for parents out there that are trying to advocate just for you know either learning more getting help I don't even have the words right now for this question, but I think you know where I'm going with this. Yeah, I do. And it's a great question. Um, You know, I would say to NICU parents, let the staff and the nurses know right away that you want to be involved, that you want to participate in care activities, you know, whatever your baby is um, allowed to have you participate in at that moment, if it's changing diapers or taking temperature under the armpit. Um, what, whatever you can do, let them know that you are ready and, and willing to do it. And, you know, to add to that, um, there are some parents that are afraid, you know, of their babies. Um, when you see a baby that's born, um, you know, that's sick or that tiny, it's, it's really difficult. And a lot of, um, a lot of families, and I was one of them in the beginning, you know, you felt like you're going to break your baby. Uh, my husband, was the opposite of me. He did not want to hold her for a very long time. I know I was eager to do it. He was afraid to. He was a big guy and he thought he would hurt her or squish her or do something to her. And I think it's it's important to share that um, with your with your care team and your nurses and let them know because they will support you. If you want to do more skin to skin care, they will be there to help you do that if you let them know. Um, if you want to do a different type of care activity more than another, let them know. If you want to participate in, in rounds or um, get information, let them know, and they could let you know when that is. And you really just need to let them know where you are and what your needs are, and they can help you feel more comfortable, you know, adding more to that list of family-centered care activities, you know, as you go. And speak up, you know, if something isn't right, I, I say this all the time, if you see something different, like Melissa was saying, like Natasha was saying, you know your baby. And if you see something that looks different or a different type of behavior, um, let the staff know that right away because you are your baby's best advocate. Natasha, what do you think? All of that is wonderful. I agree, absolutely. Uh, It brings back so many memories um, from my kiddos being there. And I would say um, to be as specific as possible. If you hear people talking about a change that might be coming up, or if you're asking, you know, what are the next milestones? And you see that you want to be there, you you think that you might want to be a part of those, um, I would go ahead and have them note that and and get it put in the chart. 
because it can happen where, you know, it might be that first bottle. Um, and they're thinking about, and I was, I remember being told this, they're thinking about hitting the milestones. And sometimes if they don't know you wanted to be there for the first one and they thought you were coming at your regular time and you couldn't change that, they might go ahead and feed the baby or they might go ahead and put them in clothes for the first time. If those are things that are important to you, you need to go ahead and have them noted so that they know that you want to be there for those things and that you can be there. Um, sometimes they don't necessarily want to make you feel bad for not being able to be there for every little thing or every big thing. So just make sure that you're, you're in communication and that if you can't be there, don't feel bad. You can possibly have the discussion of, you know, are they able to send you pictures? Are they able to, you know, help you to be there in another format? Um, and, and see what kind of accommodations are, are available to you. Um, and I say, you know, if you don't get good answers, so say you ask questions and you just feel like you don't understand and you still need more questions to ask more questions, ask. Keep asking until you understand. They are used to it. They know that, you know, with all the stress that we have going on, that sometimes we do need things explained more than once and that is fine. So ask until you understand um, and then make sure that you're also explaining until you're sure that they understand what you're saying, you know. So the communication is so key. And that's a key part of advocacy it is making sure everybody understands where everyone is. You can always ask about what's coming up, put your give your input on that um, and then, you know, make sure that everybody understands what you're what you're thinking. Melissa, we live in a different world than when my kids were in the NICU. Yes, we had phones, but it certainly wasn't like today. Yes, we had social media, but certainly wasn't like today. And, um, you know, what does advocacy look like? What should we be doing? What is the right way? I mean, obviously, when I was in the NICU with my kids, we were taking a thousand pictures a second just because we were those kind of parents. Should a, a parent be in there with a spreadsheet and a checklist taking their own numbers? And should they be taking pictures? Is that is that evasive for the workers? What are some of the things that we should be doing and shouldn't be doing, not only as parents, you know, taking those cherished memories, but as advocates for our kids? But, you know, just as babies are individuals, so parents are individuals. And so I would be hesitant to say that there are um, many things that every parent should or shouldn't do, except that I'm comfortable saying that every parent should try to communicate with the care team. Um, and remember that everybody who works in the NICU cares deeply about um, the development of infants or they wouldn't be in that job. The neonatologists, the um, nurse practitioners, the bedside nurses, the respiratory therapists, the speech therapists. I mean, there's just so many the folks that keep the rooms clean and tidy. And there's every member of that care team wants very, very much to send healthy babies home with happy families. And so communicating your concerns with them, whether you do it, um, you know, at the bedside or out in the hall or in, in another room or through the phone is not nearly as important as the fact that you're doing it. Also, remember that you are the only person who's there from the beginning to the end because people work shifts, you know, and in many nurseries, doctors are um, in charge of the team for a certain amount of time, maybe three or four weeks, and then they rotate with other doctors. Nurses come in and work 
many, many hours, but then they're off for a few days. And you're the one that's there every day from the very beginning until that baby goes home and beyond. So in that sense, you know more about that baby than anybody else because you're the one that sees them, right, Latasha? Even if you're not there all day, every day, you're the one that has that long um, long view of your child. And, and the, the staff, the team knows that. And so they want to hear from you. They, you know, they want to hear, hmm, he's never really looked that color before. They're going to jump on that and make sure that there, if there's a reason that they're on top of that. So like, the only thing that everyone should do is communicate. You know, some people love taking pictures. Others love videos. Others want to um, record themselves reading a story. Our, our nursery just implemented um, streaming for families that have to be at home, which is must be really nice right now when the number of people there ha is somewhat limited. So. There are a lot of changes, but nothing replaces or changes the relationship between a parent and a child. You know, Melissa, um, I was going to ask you, like, what are some of the things that a hospital is doing, you know, now yeah. into the future? I, I, streaming was there. I, I don't remember if that was an option seven years ago. Um, I don't I didn't know if there was apps or anything, whereas the doctors are writing in their stuff. It's automatically sent. That way you're kind of data sharing. What does technology look like these days between NICU doctors, the NIDCAP program, parents who can and can't make it in. Well, you know, it's certainly different in every nursery, but I know, uh, you know, our nursery now the streaming is actually of the baby, so people can watch watch their baby. There are now um, charts that can be shared with families where the parent can look every day and see what the results are. You know, you did mention should the parent be doing spreadsheets? I guess for some parents that may feel really good and give them more of a sense of being on top of things. And that's great for other parents. They're comfortable dividing the work and um, letting, you know, the doctors be the doctors and let them be the parents. And I think for, especially for folks that have more technical backgrounds, that can be a little bit of a, of a challenge to figure out exactly their role. Um, but remember that many people can collect data you are the only person that can hold the baby to your heart and speak in a voice that the baby recognizes. So to me, that's the core of the parent's role and everything else is, is their choice and is a perfectly fine option. But I think that skin to skin contact and um, even from the very first day, it breaks my heart to think of Jen not being able to touch her baby. But we talk about hand hugs where the parents' hands gently cradle the baby's, you know, head and feet. So the baby feels that sense of containment and comfort for the very, very, very smallest, sickest baby. Um, those kinds of things are becoming much more standard of care and moving the, it, there's a whole art and science to moving a baby, even when they're very small and very fragile to the parent's body, skin to skin, covering them all up. Um, so that the baby relaxes into the parent's body. That is becoming much more of a standard of care in, in most nurseries um, and can be safely done even with a fair amount of technology supporting the baby once people you know, learn those, those methods. And for many families, that's 
many families have told me that that's when they started to really feel like parents. And the research shows that babies do very well. They maintain their temperature. They're often their oxygen levels go up. Um, and it makes sense. Um, those are the kinds of sensory inputs that babies are sort of pre-programmed to expect and to want. So um, that's another thing that if you are in a nursery where NITCAP isn't currently practiced, I bet that um, skin to skin care will be provided. And the more you speak up and say, you know, I know there's the ability to do kangaroo care, skin to skin, whatever you call it. I want to do that the very first second um, that it's remotely possible. And um, that's something that we really feel helps brains develop and certainly helps parents' hearts heal. You just made me remember something. So when you were talking about parents being the consistent person in the baby's life because of all the changes that happened, I remember um, just mentally, it's not that I charted this, but I just mentally realized that my son, every time he was taken off, like hydrocortisone, he would crash. And a doctor came in and he um, came into his shift and he thought he's been on this a while. Let's check and see if he can come off. Mm -hmm. And I asked him, I was like, why do y'all keep taking him off that? Every time y'all take him off, he crashed. He likes that stuff. <laughs> and I didn't even realize because he was cool. He didn't really say anything. He was like, OK, I'll look into it. But later on in my NICU stay, he would tell everybody every time he saw me, he was like, she knew it before I did. <laughs> she saw the trends before I did. And she was right. He still needed it. Um, and so it, that brought back a memory. And then hearing you talk about, you know, being able to hold your baby. I had to advocate to hold all three of mine at the same time because that was important to me to get the gang all back together. And I just remember that feeling um, of finally being able to hold them all together. And, you know, some part of my mommy brain, it felt as if they might not know each other as well because they were still supposed to be together. They were not supposed to be born yet. And so having them so separate and they, it was just, my mommy heart couldn't take it. So I had advocated to get to hold all three of them and they were all stable enough. And it happened a couple times while I was there and it took a team but we did it. Um, and so you can absolutely uh, request and advocate for things. And, you know, if at all possible, they will accommodate you. Talking today about NICU family partnerships. And Jen, I want to ask a quick question here about questions. Um, oftentimes, I remember going through the NICU process, the doctors kept asking me, do you have any questions for us? And my standard answer, and I, I feel like I'm still doing this even when we're going through IEP meetings, is I don't know the questions to ask. I don't even know what the options are to ask a question. Um, I'm sure people have, have asked you this, but what are the things that we can advocate for? What are the questions that we do have? I know for myself, the first couple of weeks of being in the NICU was still shocking going in all the transitions. You have a long day of work. You come in, the doctor says, what do you want to know? And I, I, I had no idea what to ask. I'm expecting you to give it to me. So what are the things that a parent, mother or father should be asking their care physicians and NIDCAP specialists? You know, I mean, honestly, any question you have as a, as a parent, you have that right to ask. And it's very important that 
you know that you have that right. It's your child. And you can really ask anything. I mean, you know, me personally, I had a very, um, a life-threatening pregnancy and delivery, and it was very traumatic. And I was on pain meds after extensive surgeries. So I was forgetful. And um, still to this day, my husband teases me that I asked the same set of like three or four questions to the neonatologist every time he came back for a couple of days in a row. And I must have forgotten the answers. And I would ask again. And, and you know, like Latasha mentioned before, with her doctor, my neonatologist who's patient, he answered probably the same exact way, you know, every time. Um, I would say really ask any any questions you have. And, you know, out of that, probably the most important besides the regular health questions and, you know, is, is their baby gaining weight and things like you, that you need to know about medications, um, you know, would be how do you involve yourself? Because, you know, like Melissa said, it's so important to be their parent in whatever way you can. And maybe it's just the baby's critical and all you can do is pump. Then that's what you should be doing the most of. Maybe it is, um, you know, singing to your baby. Maybe this, you know, your hospital is allowing you to do the, the care practices or to put your hand in or they noticed certain things that your baby likes. Um, you know, maybe your hospital is allowing you to participate in their very first bath. Um, which I missed, unfortunately, um, also bothers me to this day. Um, you know, anything that you can participate in, find out what that is and when it's coming up and if you can be there or not. But um, again, in summary, ask anything you have a question about because you are your best parent when you're comfortable and your baby knows that. And when you're with your baby and you're relaxed, it's going to be a better bonding experience. Natasha, do you remember any questions that you asked over and over again because you might not have gotten the question, understood the question, or there was just so much information because, you know, like with us, we had three babies worth of information coming in. Like, what were some of the, the hot topics that you were always asking about? Um, I was always checking in on weights. Um, so every day, this thing, I, I need to know what the weights are. How did the feeds go? Um, um, what is expected of them at this stage is this normal yes um um what do they have to do to leave <laughs> what things should i be looking for um what milestones are coming up next and when you start to ask those questions you find new questions and as they say things that you you it just becomes a conversation so when you see things that they're checking you can ask about it you know temperature so what should the temperature be? When should they start keeping their temperature? Um, at what point do they get to wear clothes? Just mm -hmm. everything about it is new. So everything that you could possibly ask is information that you don't know because it's all so new. So even little questions that you feel like you should just watch and learn, ask. I remember one of the first questions I asked the doctors was, are they going to graduate from college? And he looked at me, he's like, I don't know. <laughs> And I'm still asking that question <laughs> right now, honestly. And it seems like you spend the first couple of weeks saying, what, just like you said, when will they get out? And then you have that magical point where they try to say, okay, this is the date, go take them home. And I remember asking, well, can they stay here a little bit longer? Because you're not ready for it. And even eight years now, I'm trying to put them back into the NICU because well, there's three of them on here. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff that happens when it comes to NICU and families nobody 
in their first couple months of being pregnant is looking at NICUs. Like you, you're, you're selecting a doctor. You're not really selecting a NICU. You, we didn't know what a NICU was again when we first started in here. When, but, but should we be? You know, should we be planning for the unexpected? I mean, Latasha, you and I have these similarities here of triplets. It, it is very possible if you're a triplets mother to go into labor early. Um, our story is a little different because we had our kid 50 miles from the hospital we were supposed to be at. And then one got helicoptered to another state. So we had no idea. So I don't know who to ask this question to, but when you are interviewing doctors, are these questions on your mind? Are these Should these questions be on your mind when you're interviewing doctors? Should you be asking, does your hospital have a NIDCAP service? Does your, what, help me out here, Melissa. Um, th- those are, that's a great question. I think, first of all, I, mean, I remember a long time ago um, with uh, having a friend who selected the hospital where she planned to deliver, expecting a healthy delivery, but a hospital that had a neonatal intensive intensive care unit uh, right there in the hospital because it's easier on the baby and the family if the baby doesn't have to be transported. Um, So asking if there's a newborn intensive care unit right there in the hospital is an important question. That doesn't mean that a hospital that doesn't have that can't do a wonderful job with labor and delivery, but then it's good to know what the backup is. Um, I think it would be wonderful if families routinely asked, does your hospital have NIDCAP, um, or does it have a developmental care program? Does it have trained developmental care experts to support the nursing and medical staff to support the babies? Because I think that the more people that ask that question, the more hospitals will look into, you know, upping their game when it comes to providing um, evidence-based and really effective developmental care for the, um, the babies that they, that they care for. Um, there is a long way to go, but there's been a lot of progress made. And I think parents may be our best advocate for helping hospitals really think about the value of um, investing in the kinds of training and staff that can provide the very, very best developmental care. As we wrap up today, I wanted to give you guys an opportunity for, uh, you know, last words, last advice. Um, Obviously, people that are going to be listening to this podcast are from a range of subjects, range of backgrounds, range of economics, everything in here. Uh, Jen, let me start with you. Last words, final thoughts. What's your advice to anybody who's listening to this show? Well, You know, kind of off of what Melissa just said, I mean, you're not going to likely know to ask for a NIDCAP hospital, and and you may not be looking for a neonatal intensive care unit because that would be scary. Um, But at the very least, I think it's really important for anybody, you know, expecting, you know, to ask for a hospital um, if the hospital has family center care, believes in that, or lets the babies room in. You know, that's happening more and more now than it was even, you know, a few years ago. But you know, that's an important for expecting parents. And, you know, for NICU parents, my, my best advice is to just be kind to yourself. You are going to have really good days. You will have bad days. Um, just like your baby, you're an individual. And you might experience any range of emotion. It might be different than your partner's, um, what you expected, what the doctors expected from you. But it's okay to feel how you feel. And always ask your questions, always ask for support, 
and you know you have to have hope so i you know i loved um when latasha said when are they coming home that that was me too that was okay you know the, around their due date and i knew what her due date was and as we approached it i was getting ready for that um, and it might be two weeks later it might be three months later maybe it's a week before but you need hope so be kind to yourself and ask your questions and um have hope I would say celebrate. So celebrate all the milestones. We had cake. Okay. If a baby had a bottle and had and was able to take the whole feed, there was cake. If a baby <laughs> was able to maintain temperature that wasn't doing it before, we had cake. <laughs> it we had to celebrate because there were so many times where, you know, yes, it was scary and you're you're stressing. Um, and so we had to find ways to kind of celebrate um, the milestones along the way. You know, some hospitals have these little beads and there are all kinds of things. We made up our thing and we had cake. So every time something wonderful happened, we'd have cupcakes. So remember to celebrate along the way. Let them eat cake. I like that. Melissa, final thoughts. There has been so much incredible progress in the field of neonatology, neonatal nursing, and developmental care. You know, when I started working at um, my hospital in 1986, um, it was a terrific hospital with wonderful staff. But every year that went by, um, the care was stronger and more sophisticated and more individualized and that this is true for the medical and the nursing and the developmental care that then all became integrated. Um, we really shouldn't pull them out separately. Um, so that's something that parents can take great comfort in. Um, one last other thought is that there are a couple of words that those of us in the developmental and family-centered care world try to avoid. And one of them is visitation. Parents, you're not visitors, you're parents, and you're supposed to be with your baby. Another word we are not real fond of is allow. You're the parent and you want to communicate with the staff to ensure that the involvement that you have in the care of your baby is optimal um, but it's something that it should be you know your care should be supported and facilitated and encouraged you shouldn't feel like you're allowed to be a parent does that make sense so it's it's sort of a subtle difference, but the more you hear parent involvement, parent participation, parents and family support instead of you know visitation, the more the team is really engaged in truly family centered care. You know, I love doing these episodes with everybody because it takes me back the last seven years, seven and a half years of going from that, you know, oh, we're having a child. Oh, we're having children. Oh. <laughs> they're here and and it just kind of you know throws all those emotions and memories back ladies thank you so much for your time thank you for your support um jennifer if there's a spot where everybody can go to learn more what is that great website nidcap.org n-i-d-c-a-p.org 
And we'd like to say thank you guys, not only for being on the show, but thank you guys out there for listening and watching here on YouTube and for your ongoing collaboration and providing the best care to infants and their families. Please tune in each and every week here for future episodes. And don't forget to check out all the great stuff over at nidcap.org. For more information, also check out their great stuff over on Facebook and follow them on Twitter at nidcap and on Instagram at nidcap federation international until next time my name is jeff bradbury farewell from nidcap improving the future of newborns and their families